In the mid-80s, when I was in junior high and high school, you'd find me with my nose in a newspaper, like all the really cool kids did, right? And I loved to go to the library on the day when the Newsweeklies came out. You know, in Time, Newsweek, U.S. News, and World Report, and read through the news. A Sunday afternoon, man, when the newspaper was this thick and you had all that stuff to savor all afternoon, I loved that stuff. And you know, in the evenings, you could get the news, but you had to tune in at a certain time, 30 minutes of national news, seven o'clock where I lived in Eastern time. And that was your news for the day. You know, a news cycle could be up to a week with those news weeklies, but certainly a day was a full news cycle. That all began to change on June the 1st, 1980 with this. Mike Cure to New York. Stand by, ready three, take three, Mike Cure. Three, start a slow zoom in a little bit. Roll tape, take three. Ready, 13, full. Ready, camera three, one center up. Good evening, I'm David Walker. And I'm Lois Hart. Now here's the news. President Carter has arrived in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a brief visit with civil rights leader Vernon Jordan. Jordan is in serious but stable condition now at Parkview Hospital. He is recuperating from the gunshot wound suffered early Thursday morning. Police still have no solid lead on who attempted to murder Jordan. In New London, Connecticut, police say a man apparently upset over a family problem, went on a shooting spree aboard an Amtrak train en route from Washington to Boston. A passenger and an Amtrak policeman were wounded critically. The conductor was also shot. He's reported in stable condition. Ted Turner had announced the arrival of the cable news network. And suddenly we could see news live. We didn't have to wait till 7 o'clock at night. We could watch it anytime. And so we could see the White House briefing live. We could see what was happening in Europe or Asia live. All those things were available to us. And so the, the news cycle began to shrink. That all again changed in the beginning of the 90s with the, the Internet. And we could tune in for the news anytime we wanted. And not only that, we could choose the news that we wanted to consume. We could look at news that made a difference for me anytime. And so a news cycle began to be less than a day. And now news cycles come and go throughout the day. What was brand new and important at 10 a.m. breaking news by 3 p.m. is old news. And, you know, it's easy in the midst of all that for us to get saturated with the news. And it's not always very happy. You know, a calm, quiet day in central Illinois is not news. War, murder, political uprising, racial strife, those are the things that make the news. And those are heavy, difficult topics that bring up all kinds of issues. And when we're saturated with that much information, many times during the day, it's easy to begin to look in our world and think, it seems pretty bleak. And we might even begin to wonder, Where's God in all this? Has he forgotten us? Does he not know how to deal with these problems? Does he just not care about us? We see people hurting and maybe some of this affects us personally. And we wonder why God isn't acting. And as Christians, maybe we wonder, is he going to do something? Well, today, as we continue in the series Complete, I want us to think about that question and think about, you know, what God is doing right now. And we're going to do that by continuing to study the book of Colossians, where Paul lays out the sense that Jesus really does bring completion, that he is complete and brings us to be complete. 
And we'll get to our answer to that question sort of through the back door. So walk with me for a few minutes through Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin back up in verse 6 and hear what Paul has to say as he, he's writing to these Colossian Christians. This passage echoes a lot of what we talked about a couple weeks ago in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Read through that or listen to that message because some of the same themes come up in this passage. Paul begins it this way. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, as usual, what Paul seems to believe is that if we get our thinking right about Jesus, everything else will follow. If we're messed up in how we understand who Jesus is and what his mission is, then so many things about our faith are not going to be right. So here at the beginning, he's establishing what is right. And Paul says, you heard it from Epaphras, who heard it from me. This is the gospel. And I want you to maintain your faithfulness, your steadfastness in this gospel. And he says it's like you're being deeply rooted. And that rootedness is going to carry you forward in understanding what God is doing in you and in the world. So then we continue. Verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This is a warning in light of what he's just said. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul says there's a lot going on in the world, lots of different thinking. And there are Christians who have taken some of that thinking and wrapped it up in a Christian blanket and called it the gospel. And Paul says it's just not. It's more about pagan philosophy. It's more about the spirits of the world and their gods and goddesses than it is about Jesus. And it's going to take you in the wrong direction. Don't be distracted by all that. Again, go back to the gospel that you were taught by Epaphras who learned it from me. This is the story of Jesus. Because if you get your thinking about Jesus right, you're going to understand other things correctly. Then Paul goes on. And we're beginning to turn toward understanding the dark forces in our world and how God reacts to them even now. But he again comes back to Jesus. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Let's pause there for just a second. The fullness of deity. That's the word complete. Okay. And that's where we get the title for this series that keeps showing up in the book of Colossians. And he's saying here that everything that is God is present in Jesus in bodily form. And he goes on verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Same word again. So Jesus carries everything that is God and he brings us to real fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So which powers and authorities submit to Jesus? Every one of them. Things unseen, things that are seen, powerful political forces, power at work for evil, all those things will submit to Jesus. Now that had to be a little bit confusing to Christians who are living in the Roman Empire, right? I mean, this is the greatest political power on the face of the earth, the greatest that had been known in the Western world. So they might wonder, how can the Roman Empire be in charge and Jesus be in charge? And Paul's answer is, well, they're not. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is greater than anything that Rome brings to bear. We continue down. 
He says this, in him, in verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcised decision not performed by human hands. And, you know, as we think about that, we go, well, why is Paul bringing this up? Well, remember that for him, for Jews, being circumcised was a mark that you belonged to God, that you were set aside for God. Now, it's used in a little different way for Christians. He, he doesn't talk about that for Christians. He, he takes it in a different direction. He says, your whole self was ruled by flesh and was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Well, we weren't circumcised by Christ. So what does he mean? Here it is. Having been buried with him in baptism. So he takes this symbol of something that's a little bit sort of unorthodox for us. But then he compares it to something that's very well known for us. Baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, what he's saying is, for, for the Jews, circumcision marked them out as the people of God. He says, but for us Christians, for us Christians, when we go into the baptistry and we give up something of ourselves, we say, you know what, there are parts of me that I don't like, and I'm going to put those, I'm going to let them die. And we go down in that water, and then we're raised up. He says, it's like Jesus was raised. And because Jesus was actually raised from the dead, it shows that God has power to give us a different life, a new life. God has the power to change us. Now, that takes us in another direction. Paul wants to remind us that if God has the power to change us, it's like a, a little model, a microcosm of what God can do on a cosmic universal scale. So, verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your, in your sins and in circum uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So, we stood guilty. Every one of us. We all know that we're sinners. That's no secret. We're aware that we've done stuff and said stuff that we don't like, that we know God doesn't like. We're embarrassed by it. We don't want to think about it. But the good news for Paul is that we don't have to live our lives in regret. Yeah, there's things we regret, but God's chosen to take those things away by nailing them to the cross. And this goes back to the way we've understood the cross in this series. That it really is that the power of all evil, including my sin and your sin, goes to the cross and is nailed there. And the power of evil is emptied on Jesus. And then Paul says this, and he wraps it all back together. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the powers of evil, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, this is what we need to hear today. Paul says, you know, on the cross, the powers of evil thought they won because they emptied everything they had on Jesus. And in the end, he died. And Paul says in that moment, Jesus duped them. They thought they won. But Jesus absorbed all of that and allowed it to, to bring him to death itself but you see, the message throughout this passage is that for us and for Jesus, death is not final. And so, yeah, we look around our world and we see powerful, evil forces at work. Sometimes the brutality that we see in our world. Sometimes the, the sheer sin that we see in our world. 
people taking advantage of others, people taking advantage of the poor, those that no one cares about. We see the power of sin drawing us into temptation and we wonder, why are these powers so great and what's God going to do? This is what God does. And we say, well, if Jesus is in charge, why are these things still happening? What we know is they're only happening for a time because they've already been defeated. It's the death pangs of the powers of evil still at work because we choose to allow them to. But in the end, God is going to be victorious. And so even now, the message for us is this. Even when the world seems dark, Jesus is still at work. Even when the world seems very dark and things seem like it's just falling apart, Jesus is still at work. And it reminds us that we're a people of hope. We're a people who look forward because we know that God is still at work, that he's not done. Uh, that, that history is moving in a direction and that God has something in store. And so Christians can be people of hope, like Martin Luther King Jr., who said this. It's a famous quote. The arc of moral history is long, but it bends toward justice. A Christian can say that because we believe that God is at work among us, not always making things better and better and better, but at work to overcome the power of evil. And so we entrust ourselves to God. Even though we know that there's bad things that are happening, we may face some bad things today or tomorrow, this week. We don't know what's going to happen. But what we do know is that Jesus went to the cross and we know that the power of that evil that may take place this week was emptied on him there and it was defeated. And so we are a people of victory. And even though evil thought it would win, it could not. And that means that we can be changed. And as we look out in our world, we know that God does not sit idle. God is at work through us, in his church, in his people, through his spirit. And because of that, people can see God at work. And we know that in the end, there's going to be victory. Victory for Christ and victory for those who follow him. Yes, sometimes following Jesus is not easy. And sometimes the earliest followers of Jesus faced persecution and even death. But just as for Jesus, death was not the end. It's not the end for them. And it won't be the end for us. Because the forces of evil have been defeated. So even when our world seems like a very dark place, Jesus is still at work. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you're still at work. Sometimes our world does discourage us. Sometimes we don't understand why certain things happen. But we're thankful you love us and you're at work in us. And most important, you give us new life in Jesus. And we pray it all in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.